Hey, everybody. My name is Andrew Krauss. I co-founded InventRight with Stephen Key over 20 years ago. We're going to do a whole hour of question and answer right here on YouTube, as I have been every Monday for quite some time. Sorry, I'm about three minutes late. I was helping out a new student from Australia. We actually get a lot of inventors from Australia. Australians are, I would say they definitely rival or definitely equal to the U.S. as far as how creative people are over there. Um, I was just talking with them about that. And uh, I think it's, a, you know, it's a very large island or continent, I suppose. And um, they've had to be creative. It's kind of part in their DNA um, for being able to come up with solutions for things. Because I'm, I'm assuming back in the day in Australia, they didn't have access to everything. Um, but anyway, Australians are very, very inventive folks, just like Americans. And there's creative people all around the world. We've had students in over 65 countries. So you don't have to be from a particular country to be creative. Um, okay, so let's see. Let's jump in and see. We've got some questions here. I think I'm going to need to get glasses at some point here because I think my vision's getting worse. Um, Kevin says, I've been doing a search of potential companies to contact, but many of the websites I've come across says they don't accept unsolicited product submissions um, that, that put any of us off. Okay. Um, I find that a lot of sites don't say anything one way or another. I think one of the things that I was um, talking with Stephen about in our other Q&A is that, um, let, me, let me turn on these lights here just a second. I don't, I don't think that really helped any, but anyway, I'm, we're still working. This is my new setup. I got to put some more shelves up. I got to work on the lighting. So sorry if it's not perfect guys, but this webcam definitely is very crystal clear. So that's nice. Um, so, you know, one of the things that Steve and I were talking about is inventors that sit around waiting or just looking, not waiting, but it actually, this is actively reaching out. So that's good on them. But for only companies that have a submit your idea or inventors button on their site, oh my God, that's amateur hour. I mean, and I think one of the reasons why people do that is they want an assurance. Oh, they're going to be open to my ideas because subconsciously you're maybe thinking like if they have a submit the idea button or a um, form on their site that they're less likely to say no when that's really not the case. Um it just, it's okay to reach out to a marketing manager on LinkedIn. They say, no, we don't accept outside ideas. And it's like inventors are trying to avoid that. And that's part of what licensing is. So when you try to avoid that, you're avoiding all sorts of companies that if you reached out to the right marketing manager, they might say, yeah, sure, send it on over. So, um, but what Kevin is saying is a little different. He's saying, um, it says right on their site, they don't accept unsolicited product submissions. Well, that so first off, with the way you wrote it, Kevin, you wrote unsolicited. So what that might mean is they, they want you to ask permission first before you send it, which is actually the way you should do it anyway. Shouldn't be just sending things off. Um, we had a Bridging the Gap company. That's a program we have just for InventRight students. And we bring on CEOs and marketing managers from different companies to tell our students, this is what we're looking for. Um, so it's really cool. We kind of build that relationship for our students with their Bridging the Gap program. And um, what they say is, 
invent right students are completely different than other inventors i they say they know that somebody's invent right students one of two things that they do first they ask permission before sending something and two when they send stuff it's rarely direct and to the point and the marketing is great. So other inventors don't ask permission, they just randomly send stuff without any sort of permission at all, which this particular president of a company felt like was rude, but it happens so often, he just got used to it. And then two, he, he doesn't feel like submissions from InventRight students are a giant time suck um, because other ones are like long rambling emails, what is this, I don't get this product, and they're, you're making them think. You don't want to make anybody at these companies even have to use their brain to look at it and go, oh, if our customers saw this, they would buy it. That's what you want them looking at. Now, they might say, well, I get it right away. I get it. I get the product. Eh, it's not right for us. And in that case, you didn't waste their time. So, um, Kevin, um, you know, what I also find is when, as an inventor, when you start to put yourself out there, something will happen and then not invent right students but some of our fans or inventors out there something happened and now they're telling me it like it's normal like they tell me this happened and they say well then this is going to keep happening and this is the problem andrew i'm like that's not normal i don't see that happening often at all why did you come to that conclusion oh well because it happened to me i was like so it happened once so it's going to happen everywhere else too. And people will jump to conclusions. They'll have a very small sample size of experience. Um, in college, I'll, I'll confess, in college, the only class that I think I failed was statistics and I had to take it twice. So that's why I know it a little bit better. But in statistics, I think I wasn't paying attention. And before I knew it, I'm like, oh crap, what happened here? Um, and I took it again, but um, it's a sample size of experience. And so when you when you have like only like 10 people or like in statistics, you know, you need lots of numbers. But we have those numbers because we've been doing this for 20 years. So an inventor tells me with complete confidence, like this is going to keep happening. This is a big problem. And I look at it. And I'm like, dude, we've been doing this for 21 years. We've had students in 65 countries. Why are you stating that like it's a fact? That's totally not a fact. So people will jump to conclusions. So anyway, um, great question, Kevin. That's not what you're saying. But what you're saying is what you're getting bothered by is that some people are saying they don't accept unsolicited product submissions. So one, don't assume that they don't accept submissions. They're saying they don't accept unsolicited ones. And, and uh, two, so what? So what? A few, maybe some companies just say straight up, "Do not send us your ideas. We don't want them." You know. So what? So it's a few companies, but people will see that with like with their favorite company they really wanted to get into, and they just can't get past it. So what I'm saying is, get past it. We help our students get past it because the stu our students will talk to us about these issues, and we'll go, "Well, that's not normal," or "Don't worry about that. Just keep pushing forward." We'll give them very specific reasons in the context of specific companies, specifically what they said, of course, but, um, okay. Uh, hi, Andrew, this is Radu from Toronto, Canada. As always, thanks for the live Q and A. Since I started watching, I no longer hate Mondays. Ha ha. Well, that's a great compliment that my Q and A is so great that you don't hate Mondays. That's about the nicest thing anybody said to me. Um, hoping to join invent right soon. That's great. Um, you also, you mentioned contacting 20 to 30 companies. My product category has one company that owns 50% of the market. The rest is split up 
amongst many smaller brands, would the approach be different and how? Yeah, you would still approach them all. Um, that's kind of a trip that one company owns 50% of the market. Now, I have inventors that say that all the time to me, and it's they go, well, there's only two companies. And I look at the product, and I look at the space, and I'm like, no, you got 25 companies. Look at these types of companies, those types of companies. Um, and now sometimes it is less. And there's like, it's it's like literally almost never two companies. But it might not be 20 or 30. I might take a close look at it. And it's only five or eight. And it is what it is. Um, I would say that's something when you come up with an idea, take a look at the space and figure out how many potential licensees there are. Because if you were working on a product and only had two or three companies, and that's it. Like, and you did a thorough search and you know what you're doing. Now, people come to that conclusion all the time because they don't know what they're doing and they don't know how to make their list. But no, Radu, I would say it's no different. you got the one big company owns 50% of the market, according to you. And then a bunch of smaller companies approach them all, you know, approach them all. Um, I just did an interview with our customer service manager, Talia, that licensed a baking mat, which is this really cool baking mat company she licensed to is like super excited. Um, and, you know, she, oh, so yeah, I was trying to remember what my point was there. So she had this large company, it was dragging their feet, dragging their feet, dragging their feet. And then she got a interest from a smaller company. They're not small, they're smaller. And they just jumped on it right away. So one of the things that I've been saying a lot lately is you can have a really big company that um, has small plans for your product or half-ass plans or what have you. Or you can have a medium-sized company that has really big plans for the product. So I actually talked to her licensee, the company she licensed to, and I talked to the president and I happened to talk to him because I knew him already actually. And man, he is excited about her product. He's really excited. So now the company she licensed to is not a huge company, but they're a medium-sized company. And he has big plans for her product. It was great. He was really loved a lot of different things about it. So um, don't always assume the bigger company is going to go bigger with your product. Okay. Sometimes that medium-sized company that has bigger plans for your product is going to do better than that big company and sell more units than that big company because your your product is getting lost in the shuffle doesn't mean it's the case you could go to the big company and sell tons of units too so don't get me wrong there but just trying to make a point um so redu i would go after that company you're already sounds like you're already committed to it um that sells 50 percent of the market and all the smaller companies as well and uh, look at all the different angles on who you could approach um, sometimes people think they can only approach companies that are doing the exact same thing. And I'm like, no, no, I could see over here companies doing this, that they would want to get into that or same distribution channel or what have you. Without actually looking at a particular product, I know I'm just speaking in generalities. There's no way of analyzing that or me giving an example. Um, okay. Um, hi, Andrew. I'm Dennis from the UK. Welcome, Dennis. I have some ideas that I would like to license. There are some companies such as Kickerland, Fred and Friends, and Suck UK that I would like to. There are some. Okay. Um, there are, I think uh, I think our students have licensed all, yeah, definitely have licensed all three of those companies. Um, 
There are inventor friendly and they accept ideas from out from outside. As I understood the process of submission is not difficult. Um, could you tell me, please, does it make sense to pay or buy coaching programs at InventRight to help me license my ideas to companies or can I do it myself? Well, of course you can do it yourself because that's what InventRight is all about. We coach and mentor inventors to give them real life experience so you can continue to do it yourself for the rest of your life. The problem is people just reading a book or watching YouTube videos or just me answering endless questions on here, that doesn't seem to work very well. Um, I did have a, somebody that emailed me today. It's been following us forever. They said, thank you for all the free stuff, Andrew. I just, this is literally just hours ago. I licensed my first product and I don't think I could have done it without all your free stuff, like our, our YouTube show and our Q&A and and maybe he was referring, I don't know if you read any of our books or not, but I don't see that very often, but our students are licensing stuff all the time. Um, it recently, we in a four-day period, we had three students license products in four days. That was way more than normal, but that was really freaking cool. Um, and it's because without the hand-holding, people make the wrong assumptions. So when people join with us for six months and we're holding them their hand through the entire thing, they didn't just watch a video. They didn't just read a book. They didn't get something in theory. They experienced it firsthand. It's kind of like reading how to be a plumber without being a plumber, reading how to play football without actually ever throwing a ball. It's like we have you out there playing football and actually turning a wrench with the plumber and the, and the football analogy. Um, and that seems to be the only thing that gives people the confidence to keep moving forward while they're with us. And then to say, I don't need you guys. I can do this on my own. So, you know, a couple companies that you know that we've kind of publicly put out there, like Suck UK, Fred and Friends and Kickerland, that's three companies. Like our students are reaching out to 20 or 30 companies. When, when I see inventors making an effort that aren't our students, rarely do I see it's a it's the kind of effort our students would make with a coach pushing them. It's, it's kind of a, a little very timid, um, which I think is just great that inventors are making any sort of effort because most inventors are just filing patents and, and making prototypes and they're not reaching out like our students are or some of our fans are, some of you guys already are. So that's great, but you can't continue to constantly be timid and just go, well, I heard InventRight said Kickerland, Fred and Friends and Suck UK was cool. Um, and that is a company in the UK that does novelty products called Suck UK. You probably guys are wondering, like, what the hell is he talking about? That's the name of a company, actually. Um, but that's just so limited. That is so like um, putting your, your big toe barely in the water-ish. And we found that when a coach is guiding you, like you're in and they, you got accountability next week, your coach is going to check in. What'd you do? What happened? What's going on? You know, in a very positive way, of course. So, um, so yeah, but you know, you can watch your free stuff and go for it on your own. I just had a fan of ours just say without all the free stuff, I don't think I could have done it, but I think he'd been watching us for like eons. Um, and I think so many other people aren't able to do it with just that, but um, if you can go for it, but it's 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 a very big difference. Um, I would say that even with our academy program, which is group coaching, without the weekly one-on-one -on -one coaching, 
I don't see as much success there as I do with our one-on-one -on -one coaching students because we're just on top of you, like in a very nice way. And just being on top of you, making sure you're doing save everything right. These people start to get off in their thoughts and then we bring them right back. And if you just mess up a few things, things aren't going to pop. Companies won't show interest if you're just off in a few areas. Um, I've said this on many calls before. Rarely, rarely, rarely do I see non-InventRight students or fans have marketing pieces that are good enough. That are like six seconds. I get it. Very straight and to the point. Now, I talk to inventors that think their materials are that. And I look at it. And I'm like, well, this is not going to work. And then I see other inventors. They're like, it's okay, but you're still making me think. You're still making that marketing manager think. And they just don't have time for it. This thought that they're just spending all sorts of time looking over new ideas. No, they're giving it like six to 10 seconds. And if they have to think beyond that, they're going to think, well, my customers have to think beyond that too. I guess this doesn't make sense. You know, they don't have the time. They don't have the time to put into it that you guys do. And so, but you need to put the time in so that they get it really, really quickly. So hopefully that was helpful. That was from Dennis in the UK. And uh, thank you for attending. It must be around 1220 in the UK now is my guess. So I'm honored that you would stay up so late just for this. So thank you. Um, Kevin said, hi, Andrew, is a PPA, a provisional patent application, enough to protect to start with for a packaging product to gauge interest. Yeah, I think it's perfectly fine. And actually, you'd be insane to do anything else because packaging products, like a new toothpaste tube or a product that something goes in, almost always you're going to need to make some changes to go out and spend 10 grand. And then you realize you need to make a change to spend another 10 grand, another patent. That's nuts. Spend $75 on the provisional, throw all those variations, workarounds, improvements. Packaging products are hard though, Kevin. They're, they're really hard. You need a, additional dedication to pull those off. You need to really understand manufacturing. And then you need to have good patents around that manufacturing, which is that's not the case on most other consumer products and stuff that are out there. But you need to push it harder and do a lot more work with the packaging product because there's so much money involved and they will try to figure out a way around you. People think about that about other industries and I don't find that to be the case for the most part, but it's always a good idea to file a provisional, but it's, it is very true of the packaging business. They're selling like bazillions of units because they're usually on disposable things. And so they're just, you're just getting a royalty over and over on that package because they keep throwing it away. Um, so uh hassan said oh my god i love the new wall andrew yeah it's a little under it's under construction i'm gonna put some more shelves back here and over there i did get a new webcam i think the lighting's a little bit off or maybe i haven't been getting any sun and that's why i look so pale i don't think i really look like that but the camera so i think i have some adjustments to make but it's pretty cool and just to let you guys know we have students that license industrial and uh, commercial products, but I can't put them up on the shelf. Like I had this guy licensed this giant, it's not this big, giant drill the size of a Volkswagen bug for, for drilling into the earth. I'm not going to put that up on this little acrylic shelf here. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so I have to figure out how to do that. But, you know, we just put some stuff up here. Um, so these, oh, by, so these are all our students, some, just some of the products that our students have licensed, just some uh, very small percentage, but some fun ones up here. So, um, oh yeah, this is a good one. 
Uh, Jacob said, can you talk about pitching at a trade show? So I'll give you guys my spiel on pitching at a trade show. A lot of people are confused by that. We're going to be at the hardware show. Stephen and myself and one of our coaches, Kirk Highest, is going to be in Las Vegas at the hardware show this Thursday and Friday. So if you guys are going out anyway, we're doing a meetup on Thursday morning and then Friday afternoon. We've been doing that for years and years. And we'll, we'll get like 30 to 50 people showing up, fans and um, past students, current students, um, pretty cool. And uh, I think people are looking around going, why are all these, you know, inventors gathering around if they're noticing? But it's a huge show, so I don't know. But I don't know what the intents will be this year because they didn't have the hardware show last year. I don't know if, if it's going to, it's probably going to be a little bit less. But so you're welcome to come out and visit and meet Stephen, myself, other fans, students, and our coach, Coach Kirk, um, as well. But um, this thought that you need to get a booth when you go to a trade show is a giant misperception. Um, if you're making your product, manufacturing it, selling it yourself, okay, you need to get a booth. Even big companies aren't going to trade shows now because they don't want to invest because they don't get a little booth like you would. They get a massive booth. And for the really big companies, the retailers, small and large, already know them. So they're like, why am I going to spend all this insane amount of money on a trade show? When And so a lot of the, but this isn't bad, guys. I'm going to tell you why this is good. So a lot of the major, major players, the biggest players are not going to trade shows anymore in different industries. I'm not saying none of them are. But the ones that are hungry and want to be that bigger player, so large but not the largest or medium-sized or smaller companies, they're still going to the trade show. And I made this point to Stephen, and he, he actually wrote an article about it and a bunch of other topics with regards to trade shows. So I, I actually don't think that's a problem. So the ones that are at trade shows are a little hungry. They want to be the biggest guy and they might be a little bit more open to licensing. So I don't think that's a bad thing, but you don't get a booth guys. You, the hardware show is actually free. I just registered again. And that one, you don't even have to pay for. I think if you register like the day, couple days before they vary it, sometimes it's weeks before, um, then you have to, to pay, but it's free. Um, now, it's not free in that when you fly out, you get your hotel, you've got your flight, you've got all the travel expenses and everything. So even though they're charging for the show, there is definitely a cost there. OK, so you don't get a booth. You walk the show. So you don't have that cost because, God, a booth can cost you a lot. And, you know, when you're licensing, you're not there. You have to understand every show is different. But most shows, there are manufacturers. OK, so let's say. Um, Let's say this is our student's wall hanging product. He's been at the hardware show. I see him there almost every year. He's in the booth of the company he licensed to help him pitch the show. So this is for hanging pictures, um, nice and level. And that's Mike's product. And does he, did he go and get a booth to try to find a company to license to? He's already licensed it. No. You, you walk the show and you find the manufacturers because the people that have the booths are the manufacturers of the products, right? And then the people walking around in theory are retailers, small, large retailers that want to buy the product and put it in their stores or in their online store or wherever, right? So when you're walking around, you don't want to be sitting in a booth and having retailers coming up to you because when you're licensing it, 
you want to license it to a company that has distribution to retailers, right? So you're going to be visiting the people with the booths. Now you need to be very respectful because there's paid a lot of money for the booth and they're there to sell their product, their manufacturing product, and they want to visit with retailers. So when you're in there and you're trying to sell them your invention or license them your product, you need to be very respectful. So you're for the most part getting their card. You don't care if they give you, you're for the most part getting, giving getting their card so you can follow up. Don't go, oh, here's my card and go, oh, I hope they'll call me. Don't ever do that. And just to be polite, you can give them your card, but then you're going to follow up. So you need to be very, very brief in the point. If they want to have a conversation and you have a small product, you whip it out of your pocket or you show it on your iPad, fine. But if you got their card and they're like, they find Bob at the back of the booth and they're like, oh, no, he's our he's our new product guy. And, and you're like, okay, Bob, hey, are you opening? Oh, yeah, I'm opening submissions. I'm kind of busy. I got some people here, but you know, you know, some some buyers. But um, yeah, follow up with me. Here's my card. You know, so don't think that you're like pitching. If you get their card, you're doing fantastic. You don't have to pitch, and a lot of times you don't want to pitch. You know, because they they're there to sell. They paid a lot of money for that booth, and they might be there might be somebody else in the booth that wants to come up and they want to place an order. You're not placing an order. You're trying to sell them something. You're trying to give them this new product. They could put in their product line. So um, you could go to a show and don't have a product at all, walk the entire show, never mention your product at all, and just ask companies if they're open to receiving submissions and getting their card, knowing their product line is right for your product, just follow up. You could go to the show with nothing, expect to show nothing. Don't come with a sell sheet at all, and you would still be beneficial, okay? It can be nice to have it if they ask and you can pull it out, but don't think you're going to be pitching to all these folks. So there's some basics. You don't need to go and get a trade show booth. Why would you do that? The retailers are walking around. You want to talk to the manufacturers that have the booths. So you want to be walking around meeting with them. So hopefully that was straight enough into the point. So um, don't, don't pitch. Don't be a sales schmuck, you know, Jacob, because you can get, I've never, I haven't talked to inventors got kicked out of a show that way, but you can get kicked out of a show that way because you didn't pay anything to get in the show maybe paid a little bit and you don't have a booth. Now you're trying to sell them and distract them from trying to sell buyers or trying to place orders for their stores. So that's just a way of looking at it. It's perfectly fine to go up to the booth. Don't be nervous about all about that at all and ask if they're open to outside ideas and who would be the right person to talk to. And sometimes the right person is not there, but they give them you their card. And so you can hit a lot of booths that way at a show. It can be very productive, but don't just go to a trade show and just start wandering around. You'll be like, oh, holy crap, I spent a lot of money on this, this, this plane ticket and the hotel and all my meals. You should have it all planned out ahead of time. All the, play, the booths that you want to go to, all the manufacturers, and then you walk around looking for other ones. So it should be um, very, very productive if you go. Um, Let's see. Another person said, I'm having trouble finding contact info, emails for companies, only the portals that ends at a dead end. Indeed, um, they hide most of that info. So, you know, we teach our students to use LinkedIn. You can use email as well. But I, I don't know what your name is. Oh, don't forget Mata. OK, don't forget Mata is your 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 handle. But don't forget, Mata, I, um, why are you, it's nothing wrong with looking for emails, nothing wrong with sending an email, but I would use LinkedIn in addition, in addition to that, definitely. 
because uh, you're just going to like, what are you going to do? Email info at no harm in doing it. I don't think much will come of it with a lot of companies info at XYZ company. And that's the email you find on the website. But yeah, you're not going to dig through a website and find a submission email, send all the submissions to this email address. You're not going to find that very often. And the portal, sometimes companies have portals just so they can promptly forget about you. You know, so this perception I said earlier to think that the only approach companies that have a portal on their website, that's amateur hour. Now, I don't see any harm in submitting through the portal, but also reaching out to somebody on LinkedIn, a marketing manager, going both directions. I don't see a harm in that. Um, so, okay, let's see. Uh, Mariana said, are trendy, fashionable, and sexy good benefits to include on a fashion accessory product sell sheet? Um, those are, I'm just reading it like she wrote it. Those are the main benefits and it's nicely function and it's a nicely functional product, nice and functional product. Okay. So what she's asking are trendy, fashionable and sexy, good benefits. Oh, to include on a fashion accessory product sell sheet. You should look at other products that are in that space and see how they're marketing them. And so a lot of times you're marketing on a, marketing piece of sell sheet isn't going to be that much different than other some other products in that space but you've got your unique point of difference that makes it very clear with maybe the big benefit maybe the top bullet point and the right picture and it still has these other benefits if trendy fashionable and sexy or things are other people in the fashion industry with your accessory marketing other products that way and then inventors always say, well there's nothing like my product they say on the line. There's nothing like my product. Um, that was my wife. There's nothing like my product. It's like, well, look at other products in that space. Okay. And then look at how they're marketing it. So, you know, without knowing your particular product, I don't have an answer for you. Look at how the other people are marketing. Are they marketing something as sexy or trendy or, or fashionable, you know? Um, and so I don't have a specific answer without looking at your product, but that, that should be helpful. That should help everybody else as well. Um, Mariana says it's a novel and functional product. Yeah. And a lot of tra a lot of uh, fashion accessories are not, um, it's just a look. So I would emphasize the, the, the functionality of it as well. But if it's, if it's cute, or if it's stylish, yeah. And so a lot of that with a fashion product, is, is is done by having a very refined looking sell sheet. Like if yours looks kind of crude and, and it doesn't look stylish, if the whole sell sheet and the colors are wrong and there's somebody in the fashion industry and they're looking at it and going, Ugh, they're getting distracted by the fact that it doesn't look like the stuff they normally look at, that can be a big distraction. So it's not just a matter of the words, fashion, fashionable, sexy, trendy, um, I don't know if you actually use the word trendy. It's about making it look fashionable, sexy, you know, and trendy by just the way you go about by the product design and the colors and the layout and all that too. So this is a great question, Mariana. Um, uh, Annelton said, hi, Andrew, I'm still going strong after one year of trying to license my invention keep doing this because I keep doing this because it motivates me to keep going. Love all the way from Holland. Cool. Um, 
I would say if you've been, Antleton, if you've been working on your product for a year, I'd say it's about time that you put um, you put another product in your pipeline. Um, you know, nobody should, it shouldn't take more than a year, to be honest, but it might be because you're doing something wrong. Maybe you're not being quite as aggressive with things. Everybody has different ideas about um, what it means to work on a product. We have a very specific um vision for what it means to work on a product and it might not be the same as yours and so when a coach is pushing you it might be a very different ball game but um i i'm great i'm glad that it motivates you um to, to keep going i think that's great um but i think at some point it's okay to have multiple in your pipeline and that might keep you going too you keep pushing with your number one project but you put a number two project in your pipeline you do not neglect the older project you always give that priority. Monday rolls around. It's Monday here in the U.S. I talked to a new student in Australia. It's Tuesday already for them. Most of you, it's still Monday. And Monday rolls around. You're working on project number one, that older project. Maybe Tuesday too, but then Wednesday, I'm going to tinker around with this new one. I'm going to start making my list of companies. I'm going to start making a sell sheet, filing a PPA, whatever. But then Monday rolls around. You work on the other one. So that's the way. And that might keep you going as well too. You might not have the time to do that. You might go, you know, I work an 80-hour work week. One's all I can handle at a time, Andrew. But some of you that are listening, you might be able to do two or three at a time. Not at the beginning, but Anilton's been doing this for a while. He said he's been working on this one product for a year. And so, you know, I think at this point it might make sense if he has the time. It might not make sense for him. Maybe he's got five kids and he works 80 hours a week. You know, he's like, no, one at a time is all I can handle, Andrew. Um, Anilton, I'm not saying Anilton has five kids that work 80 hours a week. I'm just making that up. Uh, so you're probably like, that's not me, Andrew. What are you talking about? Uh, I'm single and unemployed. <laughs> it's like, I'm just joking. Um, Mosh says, um, cool handle, by the way. Uh, question two. Hmm, sorry, I didn't see question one. If I am required to file a patent application in the UK, oh, I guess you did have something earlier. Would you recommend I do so for the US PPA and possibly Europe as well? All our We've had students in 65 countries, guys, and we just advise them to file a US provisional patent. Anything I share with you today should not be constituted or considered legal advice. So please seek the service of an attorney if you're looking for legal advice. But just file a U.S. provisional patent application. It gives you a whole year to go fishing off the end of the pier and see if there's any interest. And most countries, especially those in Europe, are part of what's called the Patent Cooperation Treaty. So I'm not going to give the details, but in a roundabout way, it's kind of like a provisional patent in those countries as well. It's not. But I'm not going to go. It's so painful to explain why that is. I'm not going to go into that right now. But I've never had a European student or anybody else in other countries just file a U.S. provisional and ever get bit in the butt that I'm aware of. It's just not going to happen. It's so unlikely. So I would just file a U.S. provisional, Mosh. Um, uh, MRG78 said, my setup looks better as well. Thank you, MRG78. I didn't even say your full name. I'm so sorry. MRGF78. Um, these handles are funny. Um, let's see. So Mosh was expanding. If I 
If I'm successful and there is interest in my product, should I consider an international company who has global reach or can I license to a UK company and separately to a US company? Yeah, you know, most of the time people have these delusions of grandeur that are going to license it to like eight companies around the world. And I don't find that to be the case very often. But yeah, if you license it to a US company and they don't sell it all in Europe, pull back those rights and try to license it to a European company as well. Absolutely. But this thought that when you license, if I license to five companies in the US, I'm going to make more money. It's just BS. You're not going to give them a unique point of difference. And some of these companies are so large, you should be very happy with that giant, large company and don't be greedy. But the thought that your product is going to sell around the world in every single market is, is just simply delusional. Um, it's just, I'm not saying don't go for it. It's fine, but um, it's just not going to be the case most of the time. And the, also the thought that you have to modify while you're filing patents, uh, screw that. You know, file patents where if they care in the countries you're licensing. So you license in the U.S., you file the U.S. provisional MOSH, then, you know, let them give you the money to file a U.S. patent. But, but don't think that then, you know, this global reach and all that, that's great, but a lot of times these companies are already global. So they might sell 70% of their product in the U.S., but they sell all over Europe as well. It's like, well, I'm not happy with that. I need to sell in Asia and every other country around the world. It's like, well, go for it. But companies outside of Canada, U.S., and Europe, or I, they're not as open to licensing. Those countries don't respect intellectual property as much. Now, with that said, I've said this before, I don't see the difference between a U.S. company or an Asian company that's really big in the U.S. That's the same thing as a U.S. company. I mean, they got major headquarters here. That's fine. But if a company's only selling in Asia and they don't sell in U.S. and they're an Asian company, you're probably fairly unlikely to be able to license to an Asian company that just sells in Asia. Now, for the stuff they sell in the U.S., you're covering a U.S. patent. They're really big here. There's no difference between a European, Canadian, American company that's really big in the U.S. Um, and or just a U.S. company that's big in the U.S. There's no difference. It's the same thing to me. So I'm, I'm glad I was able to clarify that because sometimes I think pe people misunderstand that. Um, uh, Emily said, hi, Andrew. How do you determine the worth of your brand name? If you own the trademark and a company wishes to license your product under a pre-existing name. Um, so, yeah, we've had students that do licensing deals where they like the product. They want to license the product and they really like the name as well. The vast majority of the time, they're not going to adopt your name. Um, they're just not. That's why going out and spending a bunch of money registering a trademark, you know, just do a common law trademark where you put a little TM with a circle around it, showing them you intend on using it. And if they like it, it's part of the package that you can license to them. You don't have to have filed for a registered trademark. But to go out and spend all that money on a registered trademark, um, not knowing if there's any interest because you're so excited about the name. I mean, as long as the your name is the name on the checks that they write you for royalties and they want to name it another product, another name, use another trademark, let them do it. You know, now you can state your case if you really believe you have a case that you think it makes sense. But um, if they get a sense like you got a chip on your shoulder and you're just not going to let them change the name, that's wacky inventor territory. You know, that that's a reason for them to kick you to the curb. If they think uh, you're going to fight over the color that you want to make it, you know, and you're not going to give, that's wacky inventor territory. They could love your product. 
but they're like, I don't want to deal with this guy. He's going to be a problem. He's going to be calling us every two minutes. We can't do this. We can't do that. Um, so now you're not saying any of that, Emily. You're just saying um, if you have the trademark and you've been selling it and you're like, oh, people like it, you know, talk to them about it. It's part of what you can license. But I wouldn't go filing a trademark when you don't know if there's any interest in that trademark, you know. Um, Yeah, uh, that, that question about the PPA, that's awfully specific. That borders on legal advice. I'm not going to get into that one. Um, let's see. Let's move on to somebody I haven't uh, answered a question from. Um, Kimberly Cates Bell, uh, the woman with lots of names. Just kidding, Kimberly. Uh, hi, for a company that is asking me to do the manufacturing instead of them doing it, that's not a licensing deal, that's odd, then they'll see it ABT about licensing to market it and sell it. Would I need to separate licensing deals? How would you do it? I don't understand what the question is, and I don't understand if this is theoretical. The whole point of licensing is you're tapping into their money, their workforce, sales, marketing, manufacturing, advertising, accounting, everything. And it's like a machine and you're plugging it into that machine and they're going to distribute it everywhere. They already sell products, hopefully. And they're going to get that machine going. And your product's just one more product in the product line. When I say just, it's not a bad thing. It's part of that machine. Right. And so Kimberly, um, if they're asking you to do the manufacturing, you got to wonder how interested, why is that? Is it because they're not capable of doing the manufacturing? Any big company of any value is going to be like, they're going to want to control the manufacturing. Now, I don't know if you brought it up or how that came about, but that conversation didn't go down the right path and something doesn't feel right there. Um, definitely. Um, now, I don't have all the details because it's just you just typing something into the chat. Um but, you know, and then you're going to float all that cash and all that money and it, something's not right there. I don't have enough details to answer it. If you want to type in more clarification, maybe I can answer it. But that's not going the right direction there. Um, uh, Jason said, good question. What if there are no more, no more companies to contact after most have declined a license? Well, most is not all. So one, Jason did you really make a complete list of companies? Almost every inventor that's not an event rights student I've found, found has not made a complete list. Almost every single one. So that might give you some more companies to call if you can figure out what companies to reach out to. Okay. Um, and you, the word that we, you use the word most have declined not to license. You're not done until you get a no from everybody and then you're still not done. So, but let's say you get a, let's say, Let's say you add, let's say worst case scenario. Let's say, oh, okay, I listened to Andrew. He's right. I looked around a little more. I could license these guys and these guys over here. Let's say you add eight more companies to your list. But they all say no. And then the ones that haven't said no, they all say no too, okay? So one of the things I've been talking about quite a bit on this live chat and with our students is no doesn't necessarily mean no. So what it could mean is the marketing manager is very busy. 
They're working a lot of projects, have tons of emails. They don't personally have time to take on a new product right now in this moment in time. Could be this week or this month. Okay. So when they say no to you, not at this time, not a right match, give you these generic kind of answers because maybe they didn't literally didn't have time to give you feedback because they're not all going to give you feedback. Most won't if you don't ask. And then still a lot won't. Um, it's because they were too busy. So the company didn't reject you. That marketing manager reject you. And no, that doesn't mean you reach out to everybody else in the company because that marketing manager probably was the right person. But they're too busy. And they don't want to give you an inkling that they kind of thought it was kind of cool, but they just don't have time to take it on right now. So most inventors would never think that. But I'm telling you, that's the way it is a lot of the time. So if you reached out to 30 companies and they all said no, give you these nonspecific no's, um, you, you can put it on the back burner four, five, six months, send it to everybody again that said no. Now, what I always say there is don't send it to somebody that said no because of this and you can't fix that. But that's not where you're going to get most with licensing. You get nonspecific no's. They're not going to give you detailed responses and answers on why they said no. Most of the time they don't. So now, six months later, let's say, four, five, six months later, you reach out. You got other emails, you email the same people. And there, let's say two of them, or let's say one of them, their boss said, we need new products. Their focus has changed. Now you just happen to send them something and now they're taking a look at it and they're the same one that said no before. That's what's going on in their world. I, I don't find inventors really try to think about these companies and realize these are people in the companies just like you and me and they're busy. And you're not taking that into account. You know, oh, I said, no, why would I ever work on this thing again? And 30 companies said, no, oh my God, this is terrible. No, it's normal. You know, and you reach out and and I have other people reach out 30 companies to get interest from five, six initial interest. But some, some of them like fall off, maybe only end up doing a deal with one, you know, but that's normal as well, too. It's all normal. So, um, so. Again, going back to what I was saying is, I've, Jason, I've found that most people, they think they have a complete list. They totally don't. That might be your problem. You didn't get a no from everybody. Even when you get a no from everybody, you can still push back out. Not two weeks later, they said, no, that's obnoxious. That's not respectful of their time. But but four, five, six months later, yeah. You, know, you don't have to say, I sent it to you before. They might not even remember. You know. Then another thing, look at your sell sheet. Your sell sheet may suck. Because most of the time when I see sell sheets from non-invent rights students, they suck or they're just very okay. And why would people license something if they're not clear on the product, right? So if you're not, don't hesitate if you look back at it. And I can give you guys all this test that I've, I've given you guys before. Give your sell sheet or video to somebody. It could be somebody super critical or super supportive, doesn't matter. Friends, family, stranger, doesn't matter, okay? But it can't be anybody you've ever told your, your idea to before. They have to be completely unfamiliar with the idea. Stand behind the computer, put it on the computer, say nothing. See if they start asking questions and see if they have a look of confusion on their face. Look at their facial gestures. And if they ask you questions, do not answer it, do not help them. And then if you realize, oh crap, this wasn't as clear as I thought it because been, I've been up in my head forever in a day, but I'm realizing this wasn't clear. Fix it, resend to everybody. But don't fix it 
your half-ass fix this time fix it with somebody that you know you really or do the same thing you know put it back in front of some other people stand behind it and they're like oh i get it yeah it does this and this okay that could be a, a affordable way if you can't sign up for a coaching to do that but don't do some half-ass fix that you just think works and you haven't got some sort of verification from either a marketing expert or just doing the same computer test that I just said, where you sit behind it. You can't put it in front of the same person again, because I've seen it. it has to be somebody that's never seen it before. Um, but we have coaches that help our students with this, you know, make sure it's just rock solid. It's like, boom, I get it right away. And they might not be interested, but they get it right away, you know. Um, uh, yeah, uh, well, uh, William would say, can you talk about a couple of products behind you? This one is Squigs. This is one of our students. Um, Scott licensed this, and I think he's licensed like 50 products. And it's really cool. It's these little suction cups. My daughter came in and saw this, and she's like, I definitely want that for Christmas. So, And it was like, if you get the big one of these, this is like the medium size one. It's like 50 bucks. It's not a cheap product. My daughter's nine. And... Um, so that that was an interesting one. Um, I mean, there's so many products here. This is a Mike licensed this one. This is a dog toy that my dog was able to destroy, but I think most dogs wouldn't. And no, I have a golden doodle, not a pit bull, but she's just a heavy chewer. Um, this is something that goes on your uh, computer or laptop and it kind of slides. So it covers your, your monitor so people aren't spying on you. Um, so much this is a really cool product called grid it you really can't see it with um with this card in here but it has all these elastic straps that go different directions so you can stick a usb charging block you could stick a phone this is a small one i actually have a larger one too like a, a wrapped up cable like you just wrap up like a usb cord stick it in here and underneath here there's all these straps that go different directions and stuff that's a really cool product. The inventor that invented this is one of our students. He made a lot of money on this. That was a, he made an insane amount of money. I don't have time to go through all these today, guys. Um, this one is one uh, Corksicle. This guy's like um, Ryan is just making insane amount of money. I need to adjust the colors on my, yeah, sorry, my, uh, my webcam, I'm a little tired today, so I was struggling with the word webcam. My webcam is having a hard time adjusting. I need to get some software to fix that. But this is a really cool product, and it, you put ice in it. The ice goes in here and freezes like that and then keeps your liquor cold. And, I mean, this guy's definitely making millions by the time he gets done. Then he did another one, um, and it's a cigar glass, so it's a liquor, but it has, like, a place that's built in that you put your – cigar so you're sitting there so you don't have to hold the cigar separate from your glass it's all together um that's that's like a millionaire maker kind of one not all products are like that but that's just a few um i i'll, I'll try on these q a's to talk about more of them because we a lot a lot of our students products are not up there i got a bunch more i'm gonna put some more shelves up and stuff this one's for fishing goes on a, a bucket um, for people that are fishing, it's a top lid, really cool product. Um, just a, there's just a ton of them. Really got to fix the lighting because like right up here, it's all shiny. Um, but we, that we can fix that, guys. 
Um, let's see what we're what we're doing here. Uh, uh, Lenny said, I have a question on how do I approach big cosmetic companies? Is it very hard to get past the receptionist? I have a patent new concept, amazing technology. So the um the the cosmetic business has really been booming. And I did have one person kind of correct me on this. There's, there's been a lot of small companies popping up doing what the big companies weren't doing, which I thought was really, really cool. So I think there's a lot of opportunities to license. But somebody that's in the cosmetic business was explaining to me that a lot of those small companies are getting swallowed back up by the bigger companies. But I, I do believe there's a lot of opportunity. We've had a lot of students get into um, some of the really big cosmetic companies. So I don't think that that's a problem at all. Um, you know, I'm a big advocate for, for just picking up the phone and, and talking to gatekeeper and see if you can get a hold of the right person. That's one of the approaches we teach. But I think with cosmetic companies, I think LinkedIn will be a great um, resource for you as well. Um, let's see. Uh, Zam said, hi, Andrew. I'm licensing. Oh, if licensing to a company who doesn't sell to the public, for example, promotional company, should I sell, should your sell sheet be directed towards the public or the licensor? Thanks. Okay. So, you know, you're, you're, so you're confusing those terms. Everybody does. It's okay. You as the inventor is the licensor and the company that licenses your product is the licensee. So what he's saying is like promotional products. Like, well, this is, I don't know what the heck's on this, but this is a, a pen that has a little company name on it. I don't even know what the hell it says something spa, I guess. I don't know. I have no idea how I got that because I don't go to spas. But um, so they're not. So in that example, a pen that has a your company name on it. So who buys those pens? Corporations, companies will buy pens. They'll pay the company um, that's making the pens to pad print or print on the pen their, 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 their name. So, you know, it's for the end user. So I'm going to, Zam was giving that as an example, but I'm going to simplify it so it's going to work for whoever. So it's not for the company, it's for the company's end users. So it's whoever's buying it from the company. You're going to show them how they're going to market it. It's that simple. So that should simplify it. So if I was um, doing, remember I talked earlier, we had this student that licensed this large boring drills like size of a books not this big the size of a volkswagen bug um so who's buying those large boring drills how do they advertise those he's going to show them an ad like they would sell it to their customer that's buying that large boring drill and it's the same for uh industrial commercial products maybe it's a maybe it's a commercial product is for commercial kitchens right it's something you'd only use in a commercial kitchen in the back of a restaurant well, you don't talk about how they're going to make you're going to make millions if we only get five percent of the market. You don't don't ever do that, guys. Um, but you're going to show them a sell sheet that they would show to a restaurant owner that's buying commercial kitchen stuff, right? So that's it's just that simple. Um, people really struggle with that, um, definitely. Uh, Okay. Well, Javier said, one of the toy companies, Steve, Steve's our other co-founder, Stephen Key, 
and I'm the one of two. Uh, uh, one of the toy companies Steve interviewed um, take on toy idea submissions, but they take them through an online upload format that doesn't give you the option to give them an NDA. Okay, so this is a good question. This will be the last one for tonight. Before I answer this question, though, I want to ask you all a favor. I spent an entire hour um, doing Q&A. You're not obligated, but if you're not subscribed to our YouTube channel, click, click on subscribe, click on the little bell there too. That helps us. I'd love to get to 80,000 subscribers within five to eight months. I don't know if that's reasonable. We're at 50,000 subscribers now, um, which for the niche we're in is actually quite a bit. Um, watch our YouTube shows. Give us a thumbs up. That could be how you say thank you to me, okay, um, for spending a whole hour. Um, okay, so let's get back to Javier's question, then we're going to call it a night. Um, so, Javier, why are you thinking that the company should sign your NDA, your non-disclosure agreement? That's your misperception. So he's like, well, they have a submission page, but there's no place to give them my NDA. So just imagine you're a toy company and you get 300 submissions a month and every inventor wants you to sign their NDA. That's not practical. It's a ridiculous thought to think that they could do that. Because what if what if every NDA, like they'd have to have a legal team reviewing that to make sure it's, it's, it doesn't say something in there like you own their company or something. They don't know. So, you know, look at their submission terms, file a provisional patent application. That's what our students do. Look in their submission terms and if you're okay with them, go ahead and submit. That's what our students do. And everything that I share with you is not to be considered legal advice today. So that's not legal advice. That's just, I'm telling you, that's what our students do. So this grand misperception that every company's got to sign your NDA before you can show them your product is like some patent attorney told you that. And if you ask them how many products that they license, they're going to say zero because they don't know what the hell they're doing because they're just being paranoid. So file your provisional patent. That's your placeholder in time, what you're protecting. If you ask every company to sign your NDA, they're going to feel like they're beating you're beating your head up against a brick wall. Because imagine they got 300 NDIs from 300 different inventors, and every single one is different. That's would be ridiculously time consuming. Now, sometimes they want you to sign their NDA, but they just had to review it once, you know. And that's fine if they want you to sign it. Usually, it doesn't help you, so I wouldn't care one way or another if they if they ask me to sign it. If I look at it, I'm like, oh, I'm okay with this. Yeah, I can send this. And go ahead and do it. But otherwise, um, I think you're under this misperception that all these companies need to sign your NDA. And probably some attorney told you that. I don't know. Um, they don't do licensing, you know. Um, okay. So I couldn't get to everybody's questions that I never can um, because I've only got an hour, but that's a lot. Hope to see some of you guys next Monday. Go to inventright.com. Check out our coaching programs. We've got some great coaching programs. If you've been working on your invention, like one person said, for a year, something's wrong. You're not pushing hard enough. Something's wrong. Now, it's okay to have a lingering project where you're like, oh, I'll just keep following up on that, and I'm going to get a new one in the pipeline. So he's not doing anything wrong if he's doing that. But um, it shouldn't take that long. Something's wrong. you know. Um, and thinking about your idea is not working on it. Throwing money to a patent attorney or making a prototype is not working on your invention. Reaching out to companies is working on your invention. I understand some of you aren't comfortable with that yet. So watch our YouTube show, read our books. And if you really want to get comfortable with it, hire us and, and we'll coach you. We've been doing this for over 20 years and we know what we're doing. So I want to remind everybody to take care, keep inventing, 
and we'll catch up with you next time. See you guys. Bye.